Chasing Static, That Old Wallpaper, and The Deckigan House Murders. This is staying in. Can I tell you an incredible story that I read about the other day online that is a story that took place in the throes of World War Two in the Arctic Circle? Is it is this is this isn't one of those weird Nazi experiments, is it? No, well, it's it's about a Finnish soldier. At this particular point, they were paired up with the Nazis against the Soviets. As you're probably aware, in around that time, to kind of keep the soldiers, you know, fueled up. Mm kind of like the equivalent more or less the equivalent of like what those monster energy drinks are now <laughs> they would just send tons of drugs to the front line yeah. okay mm-hmm. right just keep them awake keep them energized and keep them focused on their mission you know in the freezing frozen tundra on barely any sleep whilst you're getting clear, shot at you're not talking about you know tums and paracetamol are you you're talking I about i'm not pete you're talking about <laughs> i'm talking about <laughs> i'm enjoying the fact that Pete's referring to tums as drugs i just yeah, I just love the fact Pete's, Pete's two go-to drugs are Tums and Paracetamol. Giving away far too much information there on what he generally needs. No, the, the drug the drug in question was methamphetamines, basically. Oh. And so slightly slightly higher on the chain than Slightly Tums. higher than Tums. The Finnish, the Finnish <laughs> army sent sent like a job lot to for the entire squad. A job and... lot? <laughs> like on eBay. Can, uh, go how much can we John? <laughs> Right, they sent all. They sent thirty tablets, basically. Yeah, a job lot. It's the, it's the, yeah, it's the collective lot. term. One job lot. One job lot. A baker's dozen. Thirty tablets. Obviously. A job lot. And uh, this this uh, Finnish soldier was there as part of this trip. They were getting shot at quite a lot, and he 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 was very reticent about taking the drugs. Said, "No, I don't need them. Don't need them at all. Yeah, it's going to be they're, fine. They're dangerous." <laughs> and then. And then he was like, oh, no, I, I better take some. I am getting shot at now and we're trying to run away. So what he did was actually they're on snow. bulletproof. They're on skis. So what he did, and this is his excuse. This is his excuse. Mm. Because he, because his hands were mittens, he wasn't that dexterous. So he tipped, you know, he reached into his pocket oh, or no. tipped out the, the box into his hand. And you know how sometimes when you've got like, I don't know, Skittles or Tic Tacs, you go, oh, just pour me out one. Oh, no, you've pulled me out more than one. Oh, well, I can't put it back in the packet, can I? And he'd accidentally poured all 30 into his hands. Okay, that would very much make you taste the rainbow, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would, definitely. Yeah. It would make you become the rainbow. So what he did was he's like, oh, I can't just put them back in the packet. So he, t- he said, I'll just take all of them. He took all 30 of them. Okay. And basically two weeks later, he'd kind of, he blacked out and he came around two weeks later. And he'd skied about 400 miles away <laughs> from his platoon. But, like, he had this extraordinary kind of trip. I think it was about 400 miles. It was a ridiculous distance where, like... <laughs> it was 30 foot. No, it was ridiculous. Like, at one point, he recognised his allies because he just basically just went hell for leather, just skied off and left everyone <laughs> behind. Then he saw his allies in the distance. As he got close, he realised, oh, no, that's the Soviets. And they were so kind of amazed that this one person was skiing for him. They just kind of let him pass and he went through them. I bet he felt amazing at that point. He went yeah. into it. He found this cabin and he decided, I'll just light a fire to keep warm. But it was a wooden cabin and it just, the whole hut caught fire. He just was just sat there just watching it just spread around the hut. He then went to a, a kind of a, another hut that had been previously occupied, I think, by German soldiers and they baby trapped it so it basically exploded and he just woke up with the door handle still in his hand this is this is fear and loathing in Helsinki isn't oh it? my gosh it's amazing and he spent at some point he spent like I think like four days following a light in a farmhouse window and it turns out it was just the north star <laughs> He, they, when he was recovered uh, after this two weeks, he, even though he was fully kind of, you know, he was back to kind of some degree of lucidity, he was incredibly tired. But even so, his heart rate was still 200 beats per minute. No. Yeah. <laughs> no. I, I thought you were going to say something like, he woke up and found out that Hitler had died and he just thought, did I? No, I couldn't. <laughs> Maybe? Had I? One of my, um, I don't, th- I, I think this is a, uh, pretty apophical i don't i don't think it happened but i I believe at some time there was uh talking of war in the cold war 
there was a plan by the CIA to uh, <laughs> to airdrop condoms into the into the Soviet Union, mm-hmm. and they were extra large condoms, but the CIA were going to label them medium to try and demoralize the communist bloc. <laughs> no, <laughs> by making them think, think that I've heard Western that. men <laughs> are particularly well endowed. Churchill did something similar during the Second World War where to protect guns when going, when soldiers were carrying them through water, they would drape condoms over the end of them and they had to make extra big ones to go over the rifles. And no, Churchill just like just label them like British small or something just to really kind of like <laughs> irritate the Allies. Oh, that's funny. Oh, it, it's good. That it, it's good, isn't it, that in the midst of war and the horribleness that that all pervades, that we can have a little bit of fun with dick humor isn't it yeah the yeah. bounce prevails yeah. yeah we've had a question mm. come cool. through hello i don't know if any of you checked the post air dropped no. yeah air dropped from above yeah. yeah is it large or well, hey hey um this is a question comes from ben tucker sent via the gram thank you ben oh, thank or you instagram for those who aren't down with the kids at staying in pod we had a, I had a very interesting chat with ben via this because i was fascinated by what he had started doing with some friends during lockdown mm. which mm. was to play board games remotely via like via zoom now what i mean by that is not like a board game app which a number of us played over zoom like ticket to ride we've played over like several weeks one game of ticket to ride say for example or route we, we talked about that from yeah, direwolf yeah, yeah. this is actual board games so the people hmm. you play with own a copy of it, but it would be the case that you would either have one party kind of like masterminding it all, or you would have certain roles and responsibilities or certain sections divvied up across the people in the call. So it might be, say, for example, I don't know, one person rolls, the other person has the cards, and the other person moves on a board. I'm, I'm being very generic here. Yeah. But I found that really fascinating, the challenges of the kind of the analog with the digital. He's kept that up post-pan. He has kept that up post-pan, Sam. You're absolutely correct. And he's asked us. I mean, he sounds like he's got it pretty sorted, to be honest. I don't know why he yeah. needs us, because I think it's such a great idea. Mm. If there's any board games that we would suggest as being quite good to use within that kind of forum, really. Well, before we get into the board game side of things... Here we go. I would say if you if you've got a group that is happy to meet regularly to play tabletop games... I would strongly suggest you folks check out like a lightweight role-playing game because if you're interested in tabletop stuff and you want to do stuff over Zoom, then that's a really good option for you. Um, Mm. Yeah. Same goes for things like play-by-post or play-by-email. So there's a lot of strategic games that work like that. So a lot of like getting closer to board games, I would say, a lot of the like Avalon Hill, old school Avalon Hill games work particularly well uh, as play-by-post. Um, the you know these big hex based you know strategic war games they t- seem to work quite well, but from my choice of tabletop game, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to tell you chess. Chess is chess is the one. Do you want to explain what chess is, Pete, to new listeners? I, you know what, it's a bit too niche for all of you. I, I, I won't get into it, but you know, my favourite story of uh, this year so far because I keep a list is um, the fact that, quote-unquote, the World Chess Federation are trying to sex up chess at oh, the moment. For God's sake. <laughs> and, and not having much success. My favourite thing about the story is we covered it quite a lot where I work, and at no point of the what must have been hours and hours of coverage of the World Chess Organisation trying to sex up chess, did anyone mention that one of the most famous chess players was literally accused of sexing up chess in order to <laughs> cheat on a game. What would you do if you're going to sex up chess? Uh, well, I mean, I, I'd... I'd, I'd um, Play it over Zoom, I, obviously. I mean, yeah. I, I'd lean into the mating quite a lot, but... Um... <laughs> Is that a popular theme? It's something I've missed. <laughs> I think, I I think yeah, Pete, I, as, as much as we play games, Pete has misjudged this, the, the audience he's giving uh, these jokes to. Yeah, for a new listener, that's Pete's answer to anything we ask yeah, him about okay. how to do <laughs> um, I would, I would make the pieces a little bit more coquettish. Yeah. 
Well, like um, well, like cyber chess, but sort of like H. Let's face facts. If you want to sex up chess, I'm fairly mm. sure if you search the dark areas of the web, you'll yeah. find a sexy chess set. Yeah, there definitely mm. will be one. You know what? I'm going there now. Okay. <laughs> See you in a bit, Pete. Um, yep. I think that chess is a good call, but obviously it doesn't lend itself to big group. I, I, could, I could offer an option, which you would, Sam and Sam, you probably in particular, would perhaps be able to elaborate into other t- game types around this, but something along the lines of Escape from the Aliens in Outer Space, because if you've mm. got both both yeah. parties have the game, yeah. they come with kind of the little dry white boards with the maps on, so you all agree on the map that you have, and the only real interaction part that doesn't necessarily work on Zoom is kind of the reveal of who is the alien, who is um, not. But you could do that over camera if you just all agree, okay, so and so open your eyes and we'll turn your card over everyone close their eyes yeah and then you do that for each like person so you can reveal that and then once you've done that it's all talking and it's you're, yeah, you're, well, you're making notes on your own board yeah so you could do something like that with like whitehall mystery where there is only one central map mm-hmm. um yeah that everyone's using anyway so you could have the person playing jack the ripper on the other side of the call and everyone else is surrounded by the map and they're just trying to basically guess where Jack the Ripper's going, I think that could, that could work. And and as Chris, as you said, Werewolf is also a good option. Games like that, I think Werewolf over something like Resistance. Again, when you've got games that someone's got a hidden role, because then you just use the you just use the functionality in in Zoom. So you just where you can send a private message to someone. So someone will have to be like the game's keeper. In instance, something yeah. like Werewolf, so they know who everyone is, and they're like marking the time and. Um, explaining the roles but they can just send little private messages to people to say right you are the villager you're the witch you're the werewolf i think that would work quite well mm. you could do sherlock holmes i was thinking that consulting yeah. detective mm. i was thinking that but wouldn't that be wouldn't you be holding up pieces of paper for people to read no I, I treat it like an escape room so i would divvy up roles so i'd give one group the map i'd give one group the newspapers one would get the interviews and another per- person post. would be the note taker no because i think the way ben plays everyone owns a copy of the game yeah that's oh, cool right so that's how they okay. do it generally speaking so i was thinking like a game like quacks of quedlinburg i think would be quite good mm-hmm. mm. i think it, right if everyone's owning a copy of the game then my my uh my choices may change a little bit. So I would add into that something like maybe like something like So Clover or Just One. I think those could be really, really good games we played over Zoom. And then I'd also add into that so Last Message. Yes. Where so oh, Last Message is a really cool game where someone has a Where's Wally style a board we spoke about it on an episode of the podcast someone has a where's wally board and then they basically they kill someone or say they're going to kill someone on that board then the player next to them knows who it is and knows where they are and then they write notes on this dry white board but then the killer gets to erase a certain amount of those notes and then the other team have got to use those clues that have been erased so they become like partial clues or hints basically as to which person on this map it is to try and find that person so if both teams have got a copy of the board then that makes that really cool one game i was thinking of which i actually was the only board game i played online during lockdown was welcome to yeah i think welcome to is like the granddaddy basically of it really is zoom games yeah like i literally had a mo- my mobile phone was on zoom perched above looking down at the decks we actually had a separate camera feed for that yeah and then, yep, and then if you've got it on, you can get the app so you can actually just fill in all the different results yourself there really painlessly. That's You can play that really casually actually as well, which might be quite a nice little filler before you move on to something a bit heavier, say, for example. I think if you if you get imaginative with it, there's, there's so many different games that you, you theoretically could play. So even something like Code Names or something, which naturally feels like it has to be played around a table. Like if you've got the cards laid out on camera, you could use a breakout room for the two people giving the clues to discuss it. You could even enhance the game by saying, okay, if you're giving the clue, you don't speak it, you type it in the chat and you, mm. you remove that element of perhaps giving something away in your intonation that you or anything like mm. that. So you could in some ways, like I wouldn't necessarily improve, but you can add elements to it. And obviously you've got you've got to factor in how you kind of whoever's got the cards on their 
camera they're the ones who have to apply the the scoring and all that stuff but those are very easy so i think if you if you get imaginative there's there's absolutely so many different kind of games that fortunately with the technology that we have kind of at our disposal like being able to play board games with friends is kind of really accessible uh, my final closing one if you want to go zoom specific and you don't actually need to buy a game to do this would be to use zoom's whiteboard feature and play fake artist goes to new york yeah that's a really good shout and actually speaking of zoom there's things like the poll thing you can use to actually for like social deduction games when you're voting off a person say for yeah. example you want to do it anonymously you can do it that way but yeah i think that's a really really good shout cool I think now is also a good time to say we had a lovely email from Dennis. Oh, I won't read it out okay. because I don't want to, <laughs> you know, embarrass us, them, because it was such a lovely email. And I just want to say thanks, Dennis. Thanks for sending that to us. It was thanks, really nice. Dennis. It was lovely. It was it was really, nice. really nice. Stayinginpod at gmail.com. If you've got a nice email like Dennis, send it to us. Please don't send us horrible emails. Yeah, don't send horrible like, emails. We're very sensitive. <laughs> Again. Yeah, <laughs> but, unless you're being yeah. horrible just about one of us and nice to the rest yeah. of us yeah. <laughs> yeah that's also if, totally fine if if ratio wise it works out to the benefit of the group <laughs> then that's fine if, if you imagine that by being mean to one of us like the rest of us will enjoy it that's like a three to one ratio <laughs> then that works absolutely because we're a group we yeah. are you know where we we, we we roll together except for sometimes when one of us uh, gets pushed out of the group I mean, if you want a lovely microcosm of that, the four of us got together on Dan's request and we played yeah. Back for Blood. Oh, we did. Oh, my gosh. Uh, so much fun. It was really good fun. Back for Blood, then. It's Left 4 Dead. Like, yeah. let's not muck around. It's yeah. Left 4 Dead. I remember when it came out and they were like, it's it's not it's not a sequel to Left 4 Dead. And I was like, I looked at it and I was like, well, I mean, yes, it, yes, it, uh, yes like, it is. Like, legally, it is not a sequel to Left 4 Dead. But it, it literally is definitely... Is like, the, the title literally includes the words, Back. <laughs> Yeah, like and four. The, the 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 title is literally three bits with a number in the middle, right? Like, so it's Left for Dead, and if you've not played that, Back for Blood uh, is a four player cooperative zombie shooter, and the idea is that you move from a from safe house to safe house. You complete these certain objectives, and there are regular zombies. They're the things that you kind of deal with on the regs uh, and then after that there's like specialist zombies um i have no idea what their real names are uh, but they basically just no. make them from left for dead uh, so uh for example the boomer uh is a uh or whatever it is in back for blood is big old big boy uh and uh when they get too close to you they explode and they do big kind of area of effect damage um that's you know and then there's a spitter which will climb up walls and shoot stuff at you that kind of thing it is very much that and the idea is that you uh because you do teamwork uh to make it through the space basically the idea is there's too many enemies for one person to deal with so you need four of you working together to do the thing so classic example of this is one of the levels you have to take a bomb to a location plant it and then run away and get another bomb and yeah. do the same and really you need backup while you're doing it so the idea is to work together um, and the spin on it. So if you've played Left 4 Dead, you'll know all of that stuff. The spin on it is that there is a deck building element, which yeah. I thought felt in, initially I felt like this feels really weird, but is yeah. actually very smart. Yeah. And I think it's all the more impressive that Dan suggested this game, even yeah. though it's got deck building in it. Mm. Dan, what did you think of the deck building aspects of it? Uh, I mean, I wasn't aware of the deck building aspects until I installed oh, it. The first go. thing I saw here we go. was the, the, the first task was create a deck. And I thought, what have I done? This is why they all were so up for it immediately. <laughs> yeah. This is why yeah. I didn't have to talk any yeah. of them into it. You sent your um, message being no, like, should we play this? And us all going like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like me accidentally yeah. saying, should we play Magic the Gathering? Yeah. It was like, yeah. yes, Dan. Um, so, yeah, so it is kind of like a the, the, the standard kind of left end. That, that whole card deck building stuff did as you say did kind of feel a bit weird until you kind of understand what it is it's doing and what it's doing is it's changing the way the game plays every time you play it so it just changes it in a subtle way to kind of enhance so for example one of the one of the cards that gets dealt might be positive or it might be negative and if it's a negative card it might say there is 
uh, like a, a horde which is like a, a a huge influx of enemies at a certain point and so that run through of that level is suddenly so much harder and so if you don't have that on that turn it, it changes the way that game plays and it almost creates like a, almost like a roguelike type effect to it that it's never quite the same every time mm. you play it which is really an interesting thing i mean yes it, it threw me a bit the whole card base thing but once you actually understand what it's doing it's it's really interesting and then on top of that you've got kind of your standard card built deck building kind of thing of like adding stats to you based on the cards that you've got and that's fairly standard within games it's just not necessarily always as clear-cut as here is a card i'm assigning this yeah. as part of your yeah. deck what that doesn't make sense um what i what i found about it really interesting was that by no stretch of the matter it's not an old-fashioned game it's mm. it's really not but obviously we played like me sam and pete we played i don't think chris did we played left for dead back in the day mm. and we 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 really enjoyed it and playing this again now took me back to that not in a sense mm. of as i say it's not an old-fashioned game but it took me back in a weird way like to just my younger days and i like my like my mindset back into that period of time where i had such little responsibility to compared to what i do now and it was just like a really strange sensation because the game is so similar it is left for dead it, it, there's there's no yeah, bones about it and the fact of it is they call it back for blood they've not pretend they've not actually trying to get away from that fact but it did it took me back to that kind of nostalgia and it's not a nostalgia game like you can get you can get certain games which are absolutely like I want to remind you of your childhood and the games you played then. It's not doing that. But what it does, because it's so familiar, it's that kind of warm blanket and it wraps you in like, okay, you, you're in a fun environment here. It's made for you to have friends. And it kind of, it's that kind of game that suits our play style really well, where we just kind of want to have fun. We don't like, we've played so many games which have got kind of serious in-depth narratives. And we spend the entire game just running around laughing at each other and completely missing. I mean, Back for Blood has a narrative. I have no idea what it is yeah, because no we spent the entire time laughing at each other and like, Pete, why did you do that? Usually that's usually that's what's happened. Or yeah. I see Sam sneaking over to the, the bird's nest, which if it goes off will attract loads of people. I'm like, Sam, what are you what are you doing? We know what happens when this when we try these things. It invariably Got goes wrong. Got myself a toolkit. Got myself a toolkit. I really like it and and uh, I really like Left 4 Dead, but I, I remember that when we played it, we kind of like hit a brick wall with it at some point. Like there was a yeah. massive difficulty spike or, or something. And I think it completely put us off. But yeah, I, I think the deck building stuff is super interesting. Like the last time that we played, I picked up a card where every time I your Wolverine up claws. gold. Yeah, I have a Wolverine claws, which had a perk with them. Whereas every time I killed something, I got some health back. So I literally had to like run into hordes with my Wolverine claws, and I was pretty much invincible because I could I could kill them. And every time I was killing something, I was getting health back. And, and then I and then I got Wolverine claws, tried to do that, but realized I didn't have that perk. So I, I ran in and, and just died, thinking, "What am I doing wrong here?" Yeah. Um, and then the card one the, one of the interesting cards I picked up was every time I picked up gold, I would flip a coin. And if it landed on heads, I'd get a, like a like a ten percent stat boost to my damage. And when it landed on tails, it reset that stat boost. And mm. I was just like, right, yeah, okay, I'm I'm totally on board now because this is this is bonkers. This is this is just absolutely you know messing with the with the formula. And whereas I feel like the more and more we played Left 4 Dead, it felt like it was getting more and more serious. Yeah, I feel with Back for Blood, like having some of those bonkers weapons in, like the Wolverine claws and cards that essentially let you gamble. I'm hoping that it, I'm, I'm hoping it maintains that sense of like cheekiness that I quite yeah. like about those games where they realise that this is a dumb zombie Multiple game experience. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's still got moments where where they're doing the Left 4 Dead thing, where they're doing like environmental storytelling. Like if you go up to the walls and you look at like some of the flyers or some of the, the messages that, yeah that sort of thing like they are still doing mm -hmm. some of that and and if you sit and think about it for too long it is a little bit bleak <laughs> certainly <laughs> the goriness of the game is intense like those those um cinematics that introduce certain sections they are 
they're they're they are gross like that and and, yeah. and rightfully so right like it's a it's it's a zombie game um, but i agree with you the the fact that they kind of abstract out more of the mechanics means you take it less seriously i think like yeah. i was never sat there like oh what is the deep lore of this partly because i didn't have time but also partly because <laughs> didn't really matter um, no but it but it feels nice it felt like the closest i've ever got to like the four of us just playing an arcade game together like sure. we've gone to the arcades like for example I, I whenever i come into zombie kind of games i'm not a really good horror game player on my own i, I find them very very tense but there's something hilarious with the four of us because i'm, I'm comforted in the fact that it's not just me on my own but my kind of predilection for the anxiety came forward where I skipped the um, opening <laughs> cutscene because I wanted to get to the character choice because I wanted, okay, one of these people is going to have a shotgun. I'm, I'm bagsying them. And I, sure enough, I got mother or mum, who's the Mommy. kind of matriarch of the group, who has this amazing shotgun just called the Belgian. But what's really cool is it, the reload is the quickest I've ever had on a shotgun yeah. in any video game I've played. So I was just absolutely giddy. I was covered in blood yeah. within like five to ten minutes because I was just firing and reloading just so rapidly. And it was and it, that kind of giddy fun was hilarious. I know we've, we've chosen consciously to play it on easy, and I think that's the best decision, yeah. really, yeah. to yeah, minimise yeah. that degree of intensity and to enjoy the ride. I think the other thing is that it's it's really easy to go into a game like that and think this is a horror game and therefore I need to be really slow and methodical and all that sort of stuff. This is a game that like it it wants you to take the fight to the enemy. Like it really yeah. wants you to move. And if you sort of dilly dally or indeed shilly shally, uh, they will just <laughs> come after you because it has a similar feature to Left 4 Dead which is the director, I think it's called in L4D, which is basically, yeah, is, yeah. the director basically is like an AI that says, all right, they've had it too easy for too long now. Right, here we go. Here's this problem and you have to go and deal with it. Equally, so we're playing it as a four. You can play it online with, uh, as a sort of competitive experience. So we're playing it as a cooperative experience. You can play it as a competitive experience wherein your opponents, so you're playing as a group of four, but your opponents are essentially directing the zombies. So they can say, okay, you know, I want them to have this trouble here, this problem here, this problem here. Um, so you can take that on in, in multiplayer as well. But we've only played the the actual co-op thing. Because I think, to be honest, like I don't, I don't really want to play it as a competitive game. I want to play it as an easy, you know, quote unquote easy. We still died a whole bunch. But like having fun, like enjoying the gunplay, which is a, you know, it, I think there is a genuine enjoyment to come from figuring out how all the different guns work and uh, how to take on the various monsters. Because each of them has like a strategy and a tactic that you kind of need to do, deal with as well. I was genuinely surprised at how good it was, actually. I thought it would be derivative, but it's actually kind of cool. However, I've also been playing an actual horror game um, recently. Because okay. tis the season. Ah, uh, classic January horror. <laughs> yeah, uh, and it's a game called Chasing Static. Um, okay. So, uh, Chris, this is going towards your wheelhouse. Okay. Uh, this is a walking sim. Oh yeah. Um, and what it does is it's it's part of a subgenre of horror. I think it's called something like PS One horror, and it was this this subgenre that took off on itch.io at one point, as far as I know. I'm sounding like an old man. And maybe this isn't even what it is, but it sounds... I seem to remember this is the... I remember... And the idea is, PS1 horror, is basically take the aesthetics of the PS1 and the horror games on the PS1, but make a modern game. And Chasing Static was one of the, the ones that kind of did really, really well. It came out a few years ago on PC. They've just released it on uh, PlayStation 4. I think they've just released it on Xbox as well. I think it's been on Switch for a while. Uh, but we got sent a review code for it, um, and I played it on PlayStation 4. And um, it's a walking sim that, uh, and there's no spoilers here, uh, but it cribs a little bit from things like Everybody's Gone to the Rapture. Oh, ding, 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 ding. So it takes this idea <laughs> of, like, who's around now and what mm. happened here. That was that was the alternative title. <laughs> who's around Yeah, now? yeah. <laughs> Um, so it takes, bit, it takes bits of that. Who's around there? Yeah. Um, and it 
marries it up with some of the Silent Hill aesthetics. Ooh. So it's got a bit of that wobbly PS1 texture. It's Love got it. a lot of yeah. static. Uh, so uh, whereas on, in Silent Hill, you have a radio that goes off each time there's a monster near with static. Uh, in Chasing Static, you have a uh, quite literally like a radar gun that you point it in a direction and you are lit- quite literally chasing after the static to figure out what the thing is. So whereas in Everybody's Gone to the Rapture, you go, oh, there's a little light source over there. I'll go over there and trigger the next cutscene. Chasing Static is, oh, I can hear this thing on my you know radio pickup. I'm going to go towards that and figure out what happened here. And broadly, uh, so it is set in Wales. Uh, very close to us. So the developer is actually Bristolian, I believe. I've never met them, uh, but um, they're... they're, they're <laughs> you know they're, everyone um, in Bristol, don't Everyone who steps foot in Bristol has to come and s- just come and meet Pete. Come round my gaff and I'll tell you whether or not you're staying. Um, the Bristol game scene is relatively small, like, um, and I don't think I've ever met them. So they put out Chasing Static. They're doing a new... They just finished off a Kickstarter for another game of theirs that looks kind of interesting. It looks like Silent Hill meets Cyberpunk. And uh, But this is the one I was really, really interested in. And so it's set in Wales, uh, and it's got all of the... It's got proper voice acting... It's lovely to hear a Welsh accent in a video game. Like, it really is nice. Oh, great. And the storyline takes place in, you know, a small, isolated village, basically. And the idea is you're uncovering what happened here and who who you are. Like, uh, so you have a bit of amnesia. You're not really sure why you're there and what you're doing. And as the game goes on, you start to kind of piece together uh, what what happened here and who you are and like i say the big attraction for me going in was like the ps1 visuals like yeah. the, the that low rent so low good. poly you know stretched textures oh love it but it it licks along it's like four hours long and like i completed it in an evening one session start to finish brilliant loved it and it is horror but it is also a walking simulator and and that's the thing that kind of you kind of have to know that going in because if because a, a third of the way through, I sort of got into it and I was like, there's almost no threat here. Why is this? That's a walking sim, yeah. Yeah, but it always feels like there's threat. Like, even though like I got right to the end of the game and I was still being really cautious, even though I was like, well, if they start adding in a you know combat mechanic now, this is <laughs> this is like way too late. Like, but they didn't, you know. And but at the same time, there's always this persistent feel of what's just around that next next corner the other cool thing with it is it does the silent hill thing where it gives you multiple endings so you depending on what actions you take will determine the kind of ending that you get and that will help you piece together your interpretation of what happened in chasing static it's not as it's not as extreme an interpretation as in silent hill 2 which is like it depending on what you do it will completely change the end how you you perceive that game but it's enough to make you go yeah okay i'll, I'll, I'll give that a, another go in a couple of months time it's great that sounds great pete I, I will have to check that out because that sounds like a beautiful kind of cocktail of things i really, really love mm. have you played it's it is a walking sim but there is actual fret there um have you played the vanishing of ethan carter no that's on the list yeah i'd be quite curious to know what you make of that really because that, that game has stayed with me somewhat in terms of like a horror kind of esque kind of walking sim i suppose really mm. yeah I, I thought it was really really good like i say it's out on basically anything that you that you that you care to mention pc and console wise and the developers headwear games it's been published by Rataleika games i think they also did the console version as well though i'm not 100 sure on that one and headwear games is new game is a game called hollow body and that's coming up in the in the near future and, mm. and it's it's made me go from like huh Okay, that sounds interesting, but you know, I, I won't back the Kickstarter to. Oh no, I didn't back the Kickstarter. I've got to wait months now to play this thing. So, so yeah, really interested to see how that how that ends ends up. Can I ask you if any of you recently discovered something mm-hmm. and then realised, oh my word, there's loads of stuff already like this that I've not seen either, and it's almost like you've kind of been mining away. And you just, you know, your little metaphorical pickaxe and hammer. Oh, no, you don't use those two things. That's a hammer and a chisel. Your metaphorical pickaxe, you chip away and you find this rich vein of stuff. 
I think, oh my word, this goes really far. Not recently, but a few years ago, I thought to myself, why do I feel all funny sometimes when I hear whispered voices? And then when I found out, oh, there's this thing called ASMR on YouTube, I immediately then went, oh. <laughs> like, I was like, oh, this is just a thing that a whole bunch of different people. And not only that, not only do a lot of people experience it, there's like so much weird content for it as well. <laughs> like, I was like, oh, wow, this is like, this is not only is it a rich vein, it's like gushing out all over me. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> some, some bold imagery you're, you're putting over us, Pete. So, so sorry. So, Pete, you took umbrage of the fact that you weren't the only one that experienced this sensation. No, no, no. It was more like, it was more like, Sometimes I would have that feeling and be like, I wonder why this happens. Like I didn't put two and two together. And then and then I found out like there was this whole sub community of uh, <laughs> similar weirdos like me on YouTube. And I was like, oh, OK, cool. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, I I'd have a response, which I think is probably more in the wheelhouse that Chris was looking for <laughs> than Pete and his gushing group of people um, like your like favorite film chris like r r r like when i watched that recently and then you kind of see the kind of the other films in that other kind of films in that genre and by some of those filmmakers and stuff mm -hmm. it did feel like a like a, a starter film that i've just not seen before and suddenly yeah. there is like a a whole range of films that are obviously that i've never heard of like even the even the kind of the 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 tollywood idea like never even heard of that so that's a, like a whole new genre for me to kind of explore in the future for me i've been going to sleep with my uh sony sleep every night since i got it and um it, did you did you hear the um did you hear the story today about how actually the best music to listen to when you're going to sleep is really upbeat and quite fast really like bruno mars's uptown funk apparently is uh, a brilliant song that helps you go to sleep did you did you see this today yeah I'm, i mean I, I mean i'm never gonna think anything other than an audiobook is gonna send me to sleep bruno mars is, is not taking over from Stephen fry and andy circus i'm sorry he's not i don't know who bruno mars is but i'm willing to bet that this is not true <laughs> oh it is true scientists have done, done oh well oh <laughs> yeah. well okay right well as long as it's been peer-reviewed in nature uh Oh, did you know, if you listen to Bruno Mars... Uh, is that you, Bruno? No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, analysis of more than 225,000 tracks from sleep-related playlists found 31% of songs are unexpectedly energetic and faster in tempo, like Coldplay's The Scientist. But that would mean that 69% of them are not upbeat. Yes, but I mean, there's a, there's a flaw in the outcome that they've they've reached there. Yeah, yeah, they're they're, they're outnumbered. But I guess what it's saying is is that, it's a surprising um, number still. Yeah, it's a surprising number because like that's the that's the sort of rich vein that I've been tapping, shoving open recently. Is that so? I've been sleeping with my Sony Sleep, and I don't like to listen to stuff that I know or particularly want to listen to. But the amount of sleep playlist on Spotify. And the variation says like baby sleep, deep sleep, hypersleep, just sleep, relaxing sleep. And it's just like, what kind of sleep do I want do to go you for? Want? I think I think tonight I'm going to um, actually listen to. And here's another story I heard today. <laughs> I, I'm like one big sort of news aggregator. There's a very famous piece of music called Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence, which um, sounds like it's ripped straight out of a studio, Studio Ghibli movie it's one of my favorite pieces of music it's by a a composer called um ryuichi sakamoto and that composer made the news recently because he was in one of his favorite restaurants and whilst he's eating his meal he went up to the manager and goes is this seriously what you're listening to they're like what yeah is this is this seriously the music that you're playing in this restaurant so he's created a spotify playlist just for this restaurant and you can you can get it on spotify so um i'm looking forward to listening to to his um his bespoke playlist for this no restaurant. i'm sorry no hold on i take umbrage with this this is this is the person and i'll bet this was you sam at, at parties in your youth where this is the person who's hanging out by the cd player at a party and going don't worry don't worry i'll look after the music i'll look after the music and it's just all 
it's all I'll bet I'll bet you when it was you it was stuff like Fortet and like uh, <laughs> and uh, what, what else like was Bonobo and uh, and um, in in even younger days things like you know Prodigy and stuff like that I'll bet that was you. But it sounds like that guy. Um, do you mind if I just... Uh, I'm enjoying my steak and chips, but uh, can I have... Uh, can we make sure that we put on Bruno Mars's Christmas song or whatever it is that he does? Oh, my word. So the rich vein of stuff uh, I discovered... Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> ...was an entire subgenre of literature called... Oh. And I apologise for any listeners from Japan who any who's got any Japanese heritage. Okay, here we go. Here we okay. go. This, this, all, called, this feels I problematic. Think, I think does it begin with an H? It does, yeah. It does. <laughs> it's called hon, Honkaku. Honkaku, okay. Honkaku, okay. which broadly okay. means like the golden age of detective fiction. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm yeah, immediately yeah. interested. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I went down a real, and I'm still on that rabbit hole at the moment of whodunits. I love mm. a whodunit. My appetite was um, wet quite a bit through Only Murders in a Building which we're just about to finish season two and we're eking it out as long as possible because it is so, so good. And I just want them to keep making it forever. See How They Run, which was a lovely kind of homage to the kind of Christie um, stories of old. This one, though, is ostensibly a kind of Christie story that is not a parody of sorts. In fact, it is a real, real love letter to it. And this author, Yukito Ayatsuchi, um, wrote this novel that I read and I've hoovered it up so fast called The Decagon House Murders. Now, some caveats here. I love a murder mystery, but I'm not really interested in character. I'm interested in the kind of who elements. I'm interested in the puzzle of it all. Yeah. If you like character, this isn't going to be necessarily for you. That's not to render the author a disservice here, but if you're like me and you love that, and, and then there were none, and you like that kind of sense of the who done it and you like that feeling of attention that okay i know these are the suspects they all seem like they're not suspects but one of them clearly is the murderer you'll love this this ostensibly is the beginnings of this kind of subgenre and this book was published in 1987 published into english in 2015 and i love is there are tons of books in the genre that are getting translated into English more and more. There's a pre-order for the second book in the series, which came out also in the 80s, which isn't hitting the UK until March this year. And it's amazing. <laughs> it's like, um, I'm, I'm, it's almost like I've, I haven't got to wait too long. This book, These books already exist. I've just missed them. And mm, yeah. very tight, very short, like, and then there were none. And it's, a, it's got a gorgeous premise. So it's basically seven students who are a member of a student society which is called the Mystery Club. And they basically love mystery stories, like all the ones globally. And there's this kind of tradition within their, you know, within their society that they all have kind of like code names or nicknames uh, like homages to their authors. So there's a character called Agatha, for example, who's named after Agatha Christie. Sure. And they decide to go to vacate to an island called Tsunojima, which is off the coast of Japan. And they've chosen that spot because they thought it'd be a good trip because I think like a year and a half ago, the, or sorry, six months ago, the, 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 the eccentric architect that owned that island, him, his wife, and a couple that were staying with them, um, they were all mysteriously killed on this island and their house was burnt to the ground. And these seven students have come here to kind of get some inspiration for the writing of their own mystery stories, but also they think it's quite a cool backdrop. And the only building that's still are left is this kind of novelty kind of structure called the Decagon House, which is exactly, as you can probably get in the title, 10 sides, neatly segmented. And at the beginning, a la the name of the rose, you get a map of the Decagon House. And you go, oh, yeah, this is great. I'm loving this. A little bit like, you know, Murder on the Orient Express, where you get the map of the train. Yeah. And over a series of days, they get killed off or they're, they're getting killed off one by one. They're on this island. And then there were none style. They, they, they make a reference to, this is like, and then there were none. One of them is the killer. One of them has to be the killer. But the interesting wrinkle that delineates it from, say, and then there were none, is that the, the story shifts. It alternates. So you spend some time on the island with these seven students who are kind of 
getting into that suspicious element and trying to puzzle it out and using their knowledge of detective stories to try and piece it together, you go off-site to the mainland where two of the members of that society, or two former members, I should say, who didn't go on the trip, they each receive a note about a particular former student of theirs saying that that person was murdered. That's really weird. And everyone in this organisation, this society, has received this letter. So they're trying to solve the mystery of what happened on that island a year, a half ago, or six months ago, at the same time as the students on that island are trying to work out who is their killer amongst them and what connects these two seemingly disparate things. Mm. And I devoured this book. I cannot remember the last time where I literally said, I, I, can we just go to bed now so I can just read? I got to a point when I was on my own one night and I got scared. That's great. Mm. Because I was like, I generally am a bit nervous because, and it's that lovely kind of sense of fear because you know that these people around you are your friends, but one of them, it seems, is a killer. How is this possible? And, and, and that sense of like distrust amongst the group, it, it, it's fantastic. Uh, I love that feeling so, so much. You mentioned uh, Orient Express and you mentioned that there's a, a, a like some visual stuff with this book. There is an audiobook version. Would it work as an audiobook or do you need that visual? No, you don't need that visual. I was a little bit worried when I saw the diagram. I think, oh my gosh, am I going to have to kind of like work it all out like I did with Orient Express? No, you don't need that <laughs> at all. There was a bit though when I got to the end when the reveal happens, I was like, wait, what? And my partner just saw me just frantically turning back through the book thinking, oh my word, I need to read this again. Okay. And uh, yeah, like, mm. I, I think it worked fine as an audio book. Okay. Uh, definitely. But like, if you like that classic kind of Christie thing, but not done in necessarily a parodic way, not done in a kind of wry satirical way, a la someone like Anthony Horowitz, who's probably right. the only other author mm -hmm. I can think of contemporary which, you know, Sam and I, you and I have spoken about quite a lot at length. Yeah, I read one of I read one of his most recent books and it's really weird because he's one of the main characters. Yeah, that put uh, me off. And so he creates like a fictional detective, oh. but he's in it as himself. And there's there's an entire chapter where he has he recounts a real life meeting that he had with Peter Jackson and Steven Spielberg about writing the script for the sequel of Tintin and uh, no matter how earnest and sincere he writes it on the page it does come across a little bit like and let me tell you about the time that I had a sit-down meal with uh, Oscar winner Peter Jackson and Oscar winner Steven Spielberg there are two things I cannot stand that when writers <laughs> do it and they they always fall into it look who I know right and <laughs> writing about writing those are the two things yeah. that really infuriate me. When a writer goes, let's talk about how important writing is. It's just like, let's not. <laughs> let's, why don't we instead do literally anything else? The, um, the actual mystery was really, was really good. But I just like, I, I struggled when he started bragging about how many seasons of Midsummer Murders he'd written. Um, <laughs> it, was just, it was just really weird. It was just, it's just a, a, a strange way of telling a story. But anyway. Whereas this is very kind of lean. Like if you're looking for something that is a little bit more elaborate in terms of its characterization, uh, you won't get this here. Um, and that's fine with me. It's like it's like the home stories of old where it's not about the character, it's about the problem, it's a solution. I, I don't really care about the characters per se. I'm interested in the problem itself. And I think that's why as much as I love Jonathan Creek, which is very much a how done it, I think what gets me all spine tingly is the whodunit and this has now become my favorite whodunit mm -hmm. for like right. like cool. over a decade and a half it's been and then there were none this for me that's and that's bold. just for me i'm not saying it will necessarily chime in the same way for you but this this is like you know going back to that analogy of you know hacking into that vein it's like oh my word this is this feels like someone's just this is just for me and there's mm. tons of these books now Mm. that I can I know that are there and they're in this kind of format of like the locked room or you know that kind of stuff I I, I love this so very very much yeah the word it the, the genre itself translates as orthodox and I get yes, the impression that probably the reason why it's filling that particular hole in you Chris is that whereas the the murder mystery genre is kind of be at well currently it 
be, you know, being pulled apart, putting back together, analysed, then being pulled apart, pulled apart again, which has led to some really great stuff like Only Murders in the Building and Glass Onion and Knives Out. Yep. But I feel like, especially with things like Glass Onion, they're using the genre to say something, to, to make a commentary about something. Whereas here, because it's orthodox, the mystery is front and centre. Like the mystery is, you should be able to work this out. All the pieces are here. Just yeah. like Christie would write a would write a mystery novel. Just when I thought that themes of board games couldn't get any bonkers, well, up until now, Sam, what has been the most bonkers theme you've encountered? Uh, probably, probably uh, Lacrimosa. I feel oh, yeah. a, a a board game about helping Mozart's sister compose his last requiem, whilst also sharing memories of all the brilliant times we spent with Mozart traveling through Europe is a pretty out there buck wild theme like any theme that gets me to buy the magic flute perform it once and then sell it because it's trash <laughs> like I just absolutely love it love, it's a job that, lot. love that game yeah it's selling a job lot and like you know board game themes come and go like I'm literally in the post this this today uh, received a game from WizKids which is called Rebuilding Seattle Ooh. and it's just like it's a polyonimo building game where you're rebuilding Seattle like theme wise seems very appropriate but you know seen those kind of things before so imagine my surprise the other day when in the post arrived from AEG a game called That Old Wallpaper <laughs> which if you were to <laughs> no it's it's like they're just sending you stuff now to see. Do you think he'll look at this? I don't know. Just send it to it's him. it's yeah. It's like they're sending him stuff that doesn't actually exist. They're doing it just to see. Will he? Cover it? Will he? Will, just as a will prank. he believe that there is a real board game? <laughs> what what will he pretend the the meaning of this game is? Yeah, it's it's weird because there wasn't even a rule book. There was nothing. Yeah. It was just <laughs> yeah. it was just an old roll of wallpaper. Yeah, if you were to if you were to glance at this in the shop, I think you'd be forgiven for thinking that it was that '70s show, the board game, hmm. uh, because the um, the iconography they use is actually very similar to that like TV show. That's kind of what what struck me when I first started sort of unpacking it. Uh, the art, by the way, by uh, Matt Paquette and Co. is superb. Like, if you look at images of it, it's, it is the one thing that that stands out. But what this game is actually more like, Chris, it's more like something like a gentle rain. Oh, hello. Um, but instead of having a lovely meditative solo experience where you're pushing tiles together to create matching patterns. Here you're having a competitive experience where you're competing to see who can remember your grandma's wallpaper best. We've all been there. <laughs> so it's competitive meditation. It's competitive. <laughs> yeah, just, just like, just like uh, Buddha intended. So how the game works is, is you have a central pool of... Uh, of these wonderfully uh, decorated cards in the middle of the table that as a group you will draft and then you add into your tableau and at the end of the game you'll get points depending on how many pairs of those particular patterns that you can get together so there's like big versions of a pattern and then there's like a smaller version of that pattern so one's like a big bright sun star and then the smaller version is four little suns in a in a diamond and there's other little things in there like uh, unique shapes like a square and a triangle and a diamond and if you collect some of those in the, into your into your tableau you'll get points at the end of the game and blah blah blah, blah. i think where this game really shone for me is in the drafting uh, mechanic and it's a very very simple way that you 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 get cards so unlike something like uh, like acropolis probably the most the most recent example that that we've spoken about where you take it in turns to select one of the cards or one yep. of the the, the tiles from the central the central board and it uses like a monetary system to sort of guide you to which ones you're allowed to allow to get here you have each player has a hand of five cards and on those five cards will be a number from one to ten so when you put a card down you're essentially trying to bid to get the card that you want cards closest to the stack of wallpaper pieces are low cards furthest away are high so if someone puts down a one they're going to get the card that's closest to the the stack yeah. if someone puts down a 10 they're going to get the card that's right that's furthest away easy the trick of the game is when you're trying to get cards that will complete your perfect little pattern 
that are around the middle. And that is where this game of quite simple little tableau building and pattern matching really comes to life because um, with the group that I was playing it, the amount of times that someone would turn over a number and go, oh, I can't believe, oh, why did you, you know, the absolute indignation that someone on purpose, but not really, <laughs> played a number that was just like one higher or one lower than yours, which meant that they just able to like sneak under the radar and nab the exact thing that you were that you were looking for. And like, I love moments like that, just when a simple turn of the card and then the table is able to erupt in laughter as there's an immediate understanding of what's gone on in in this scenario. And that old wallpaper, like just rattles along and it's you know turn after turn everyone's turning over cards and it and it gets to the point like at the end of the the third round that there's almost like a a mind quality to it as well where you're kind of looking in people's eyes and going right what number are you going to play and can i be smart here and try and go a bit higher than you thinking that you're thinking that i'm thinking that i'm going to go high so i'm going to try and position myself yeah above you and I, I, it just, it, it was just one of those games that when you play it, and there are tons of games like this, reminds you of something that you really like about that shared experience of yeah. playing games with people. Like, I think you're, I, th I think in terms of like gameplay and aesthetics, and if you find it actually appealing, I feel, I feel like that old wallpaper, your, your mileage might vary. If you, if you like, the, if you, if you see it and like the design of it, I think you, you will enjoy the game. But for me, the one thing it did was just, really make me sit back and go huh that this is just like this is just one of those things that i really love about board games and it's just a game that's just bringing that all to life mm. sam can i ask um and incidentally appealing is a, appealing is a very good wallpaper pun uh <laughs> that kind of does that wallpaper aesthetic actually come across or is it just like oh well it's just geometric shapes that make the pattern do you feel like you're dealing with fragments yeah. of wallpaper yeah, it does because, and it's actually uh, uh, really funny because you get really, a, a bit like the same in Gentle Rain, you get really, really itchy when you can't match a pattern and you get, to, oh, that's really, and, and if you've ever put wallpaper up in a house, like it's that same feeling of this doesn't quite, oh, I, yeah, yeah, this is not quite matching and you spend ages like just trying to match the patterns and trying to get it working and, and you know, Looking around the table, there was five of us playing this game. It plays from two to five. There's five of us playing this game, and the whole table was literally covered in this like colourful wallpaper. Oh, amazing! And you do feel like it's you know you have been able to create something that is actually quite genuinely aesthetically pleasing. If that's your uh, yeah, that that that, that, that definitely works for me. That's brilliant. And and in terms of that drafting, how do they how do they scale that for the different players because i think i can imagine it being quite a challenge in that drafting and playing cards with five of you how does it work if say there's two uh so if there's two there's um there's a grandma player who's like a, a sort of a uh, npc who takes part in the in the drafting so, but so you just you, so you say grandma player as if that's the most normal thing in the world like what's a grandma <laughs> player well i mean like in the game it's it's just an NPC, but in the game they refer to it as grandma. It's oh. not like a board oh, okay. game terminology. So that central drafting mechanic is just electric and reminds me, you know, the best things about playing board games where it just generates those incredible moments. It's a pretty good game. I feel we should be whispering this bit just because I know Pete has a little thing for that. Does anyone else feel a bit icky for when Pete feels weird, quote unquote? Overshared. What, you, don't be embarrassed of my tingles. I'm not embarrassed. I just don't want you to be embarrassed. Good. No one is here to kink shame. No. Tingle shame. We're not going to yuck his yum. <laughs> if we've brought tingles to you, why not get into it? Yeah. Please let You're us know. feeling them tingles. Stayinpod at gmail.com. Subject line. Tingles? Yeah, um, yeah. Tell us, tell us what part of the podcast gave you tingles specifically. Yeah, that would be good to know actually, because then we could just do that over and over and over yeah, again. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, and then we can be as famous as all those um, ASMR lot. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. They'll also, yeah. I mean, to varying degrees, will give you tingles. The Instagram <laughs> will give the hardest amount of tingles, I would suggest. Yeah, 
Yeah, that 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 those go full tingle. Those go f- <laughs> full on tingle. And there's there's a post on there of that old wallpaper that Sam spoke about. There is. Oh yeah, yeah. So you can see what it actually looks like yes. on the table, and that it's not just a couple of scraps of wallpaper that a company sent to Sam just to see yeah. what he would do with <laughs> some sort of like early April Fools. I will also post. Oh, he'll do anything. I'll post a picture of Chasing Static as well at some point because oh, it's do. a very visually appealing game. So I will. I'll pop that up there at some point soon. Might even be up there by the time you listen to this. Who knows? Okay. Yeah. So Instagram, go there, um, and sometimes Twitter, and sometimes facebook to staying in pod we spoke briefly about spotify playlists in the episode and so if you'd like to hear our spotify playlist curated by chris darby then uh, there is a link in the show notes and thanks to dennis and ben from getting in touch thank you that's lovely yeah yeah that was lovely and and hopefully ben we've given you some additional games for you to play via zoom let us know which ones you which ones you did because it'd be good to kind of Share that and we could try it as well. Sounds great. All right, then. Bruno Mars's The Lazy Song. (laughs) Tomorrow, I'll wake up, do some P90X, meet a really nice girl, have some really nice sex, and she's going to scream out, this is great, brackets, oh my God, this is great. Close brackets. Yeah. <laughs> Good night. <laughs> <laughs>